Philanthropy Your Way. I'm Larry Grogan, founder of the Legacy Charitable Fund. And I'm Joy McRae, a professional fundraiser and executive. With Philanthropy Your Way, we have a podcast that we want to bring you everything that is good in fundraising and give fundraisers an opportunity to talk about how their organizations are growing through philanthropy. And today, our first guest is Caitlin Scanlon. Now, Joy, you're going to like Caitlin. Oh, good. I know that you guys have communicated in the past, but you've never actually met. And here's what I love about both of you. Both of you want to do the right thing at all times. You've got a purpose. You've got a cause. And let me tell you a little secret about Caitlin. She was one of those individuals that came back to New Orleans okay. after Katrina. She's dedicated to this city. She's not from New Orleans, but she has made it her home. So please welcome Caitlin Scanlon. Joy, I'm very pleased to welcome Caitlin Scanlon to our podcast today. Me too. Now, one thing that you've got to understand is that Caitlin's in New Orleans. Right. And we were just together a few days ago. And the food that this cafe produces is fantastic. And that's one thing that you can always count on whenever you go to New Orleans is great food. Where's my plate? <laughs> you didn't bring me any? Next Jeez. time. Next time. Oh, the food is great there, too. So, Caitlin, welcome to Philanthropy Your Way. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, tell us about your role, but specifically, tell us about Cafe Reconcile. What it is your responsibility is for the organization, but what the organization's all about. Sure. So um, I'm the chief development officer for Cafe Reconcile in New Orleans. We're a workforce training organization based on OC Haley in Central City, New Orleans. Um, in September, we'll actually celebrate our 20th anniversary in our home at 1631 OC Haley Boulevard. Um, we were started as uh, a community mission to help the children of Central City at a time. Um, so our founding was actually a few years earlier. It was in 1997. And we were founded by um, three gentlemen, Father Harry Thompson, a Jesuit priest, and two lay ministers, Tim Falcon and Craig Kucha. And these three gentlemen wanted to give the children of Central City a safe place to spend time after school. At the time, Central City was riddled with crime. It was sort of a forgotten neighborhood in New Orleans. And there were really wonderful families there who were struggling to keep their children safe after school and wanted to give their kids some normalcy, particularly if they came from working households, if their parents were both working and or if you had a single mom or a grandparent or an aunt or some other relative taking care of the kids. Over time, the founders and particularly um, our very first executive director, Craig Kucha, figured out we needed an activity to keep the kids engaged and productive and teach them life skills, teach them skills that would help them to get employed. And so they soon opened up the cafe. We've had a lot of different iterations throughout the years. Um, today, we, um, we own our building. It's five stories. On the first floor is a lunch cafe that operates Monday through Friday um, from 11 to 2.30 p.m. And it's jointly operated by trainer advocates professional restaurant staff, and our interns. So these are young people who've been accepted into our program. And the way we, our work traditionally operates is that we help um, what's called opportunity use. Uh, young adults, 16 to 24, who have been disconnected from the traditional education and workforce pipelines and give them a space to come back in, 
figure out what barriers and resources have prevented them from accessing those opportunities, give them those resources and help them figure that out, and then teach them some skills so that at the end of the program, they're directly connected back into education or employment. Typically, what we do is about 90 young people in the year broken up over six different cohorts. Um, It's an eight-week program. And really, the core part of our work is saying we really have the philosophy that no person coming into our program has flaws or deficiencies in accessing workforce and accessing successful employment. It's just that they haven't been given the same shot and opportunity and that barriers in our culture have actually held them back. So we put a lot of emphasis on um, wraparound services. Another term used in um, social services called social determinants of health. So we focus on an intake assessment that says, what's your housing situation? What's your medical situation? What's your mental health? Um, Maybe you've had some tough relationship dynamic. Maybe there's been crime and trauma in your family. And by maybe you're a parent already and you're having issues accessing childcare that's affordable. All of those things affect your ability to A, get a job, B, focus in your job, and then C, maintain that job successfully. If you don't have those things solved, being a good employee is really, really hard. So um, we really focus on the wholeness of the person. We also do a lot of life skills training, like how to deal with conflicting situations. What do you do when you get a lot of pressure from your boss? What happens if you've grown up in a stressful situation and mental health is something that you're working to manage, but you end up in a work situation that sometimes is a trigger? How do you manage all of those situations to then become successful in the workplace? So we teach those in a foundational life skills curriculum program. and then they, the interns go down to the cafe and they get a learning laboratory. They get to try on all those skills and work with folks who are caring and supportive that understand that learning curve. And they get to practice putting that work into action. When you make a mistake, it's a lot easier to make a mistake in a safe environment with someone who can coach you through, why, why did you make that choice? What happened? Can you explain to me what went on in that moment? And then you get to help that person figure out why am I choosing that behavior or why am I making that decision? It's incumbent upon all of our interns to make those choices for themselves. You got to be a part of the process. But um, what's amazing is when you get a little bit of love, when you're given some patience, and when you're told you're not flawed every day, it's amazing what a person will do and open up to receiving. Um, So we really believe that after going through our program, you really have the principal tools and techniques to become, to start figuring out successful employment. So that's our intern program. And then throughout the year, we hope to serve about 90 young people in the year. Um, Additionally, we work with um, about 250 alumni from the program who will stop in during the week and say, hey, I'm having an issue with name a subject. I've lost my job and I need to find a new job. I'm having trouble managing my budget. I'm, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have to figure out childcare and I don't know how to do that. At any point, an alumni can return to the program and access social services. 
And alumni for us, there are graduates of the program who complete a certain set of steps, but there are also folks who maybe at the time when they came into the program, they weren't able to complete it. Those folks are still eligible to come in and access social services. So any young person who comes to us at some point, whether they have to leave early or not, has the opportunity to get help at any point later in life. And we believe that commitment is also helping to stabilize our community and give that same safe space. So in the year, we'll probably work with about a little over 300 individuals, um, helping them either stay stable or act, uh, you know, actively start moving themselves in a better direction for them and their family. Wow. It's pretty That's cool. incredible. You just told me they had good food. They, they do have great food. Jeez. It it's, we've got a, our lunch cafe. So it's open Monday through Friday, 11 to 2.30. And it's a typical like lunchtime. We serve probably what's best known as like Southern Creole cookings. Um, chef makes amazing catfish. You can get it three different ways, whatever way you want. Fridays are big for seafood. A lot of typical New Orleans stuff. And then on our second floor, we actually have an event hall and our catering team, they make these beautiful spaces where people can celebrate important memories. Companies can have good lunch, you know, like a lunch meeting or a continuing ed, but you're doing something good by coming in and helping out. Hey, so I have this question. Um, being a nonprofit for the last 18, 20 years, one of the things that I think is common is so many fundraisers, it's easy to get funding for things for your programs, for your, for training, for supplies, for thing like, things like that. But when it comes to capital campaign to buy a building, you know, I, I remember, I just heard you talk about buying a building that's five stories in New Orleans. How amazing is that? Um, yeah. And that's great on how you're using it. I'm sure that your ROI is great as far as being able to rent that out and use it for businesses and your cafe. And how did that come about that you were able to buy your building? I think there's people probably listening going, man, if we could just buy a building. <laughs> Yeah, look, you know, um, we had a lot of good people involved with our mission for a long time. And so uh, fortune comes to those who arrive late to the party and benefit <laughs> from it, um, meaning me. Uh, so the the history of the building, at the time when we acquired our, we're in the same building we've been in for 20 years. Wow. And we're in the neighborhood, we really, um, when our mission started, that we primarily wanted to target um, young people from. And at the time we bought the building, people weren't going to Central City, particularly for lunch, let alone anything. It was, um, O.C. Haley has been renamed. It was a part of the original Dryads uh, commercial quarter, which for a long time was the epicenter of black commerce in New Orleans, the counterpart being the white uh, commerce corridor on Canal Street, downtown, um, separating Central Business District in the French Quarter. And Dryads was thriving. I mean, it had lots of car commerce, a loyal pop, uh, population shopping there. With um, segregation and with white flight, all that really changed. And sadly, that neighborhood and the people who reside in there that create the culture and create the fabric and color of our community were forgotten. Um, inexplicably from my point of view. And so part of buying that building while in a derelict neighborhood that was ignored in many ways was a way of sort of planting a flag and saying, we believe in this community and we believe that people who live here. And so for a long time, it was just us and the Ashe Cultural Center, which was diagonally across the street. 
with Hurricane Katrina, there was a whole new look at what New Orleans could be. New Orleanians and the folks that moved in to help with the recovery efforts started to reimagine how do we create the new New Orleans? How do we not lose the luster and color of our culture and what makes our community unique, but also recognize that we have some really dark spots and some deep wounds that we can start to heal and focus on by talking about them and focusing on them. One of the ways we did that was by focusing on OC Haley that has historic buildings, beautiful construction, an important part of our historical culture and create a space in that neighborhood that would bring a mixed diverse group of patrons. So um, over time, there was a lot of investment through new market tax credits, historic tax credits, private capital um, investment from fundraising and philanthropy that said these couple of businesses and nonprofits are actually going to come into this neighborhood and bring about a cultural change and a, a restoration. We took on the challenge of renovating. So for the longest time, we only operated on the first floor of the building. And the upper four floors just sort of sat in pretty rough condition. Um, they were like a time capsule that no one wanted to go into. Um, <laughs> so I can't imagine what that project smelled like. Um, so and with all this money and investment coming into New Orleans post-Katrina, the organization took on that chance to say, this is our opportunity to expand the impact to the community, help more people by having more space. Um, and go from being more grassroots to a more sophisticated organization. And so um, they took on a capital campaign through combined financing of new market and historic tax credits. We were able to renovate the five floors of the building. Today, what you see is the first floor cafe. On the second floor is in a banquet hall with its own kitchen. Those two are connected through an outdoor courtyard. On the third floor, we renovated it for our program space. So there's a working classroom, there's office space for counseling, there's one-to-one um, -one, um, case management space. On the fourth floor, we lease that out, but we're, um, you know, we've always entertained the idea of like, how do we maybe expand and use that fourth floor for different purposes, sort of the next chapter of Reconcile. And the fifth floor is our administrative offices. So the full building gets used now, um, and that kind of, segues well into saying like our funding really is anchored around three different areas. So about 60% of our revenue comes from fundraising, um, whether that's an individual donor, corporate gifts, um, donations earned on the cafe floor. We don't do tips. So everything over and above your bill goes directly back to the organization. 30% comes from government sources. We're, um, we're a participant in the SNAP ENT program, which is employment and training through um, SNAP dollars come from the Department of Agriculture and they fund us to say like, look, if you can help people learn skills, hopefully that improves their family's financial position. So that's about 30% of our revenue and then 10% comes from earned revenue, which is the cafe and catering. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, man, I can't imagine living through Katrina and having a nonprofit as amazing as your all's and having it almost rebuild. Um, and what a great opportunity that you all had with those extra fundings after Katrina. 
now that we're in the middle of this huge mess with COVID-19, um, I hope that your nonprofit is not suffering like so many are. And I feel like right now, here we are coming up on June, a lot of them have been shut down for 10, 12 weeks unless they're direct service. And now they're in Tennessee. We're opening our doors. Um, our governor has, I think Billy's going to open everybody by June 15th. He's done. He's over the coronavirus. Um, the rest of us, maybe not so much. And other state, our neighboring state, you know, Virginia is only 20 minutes from here and they're not opening. I don't think ever again. Um, but, you know, you, I hear from a lot of my friends in nonprofit that this is a hard year. Corporate dollars have dried up. That's been the first thing that's cut off their budget because it's either give the money that they usually have given to nonprofits and the charities or pay their staff. And now they've got furloughed staff coming back that they're going to have to pay. Um, a lot of maybe medium sized businesses that are like in our hometown, like snap on tools is they have a huge manufacturing plant here in Elizabethton. And I don't know what their corporate giving is, but I can imagine they've been nonstop production. They never stopped. They, I mean, they're seven days a week. They all have seven shifts. Like they've run nonstop. I don't know that it's affected them, but how's it affected you? How's it affected you as a nonprofit? Yeah. I mean, it was scary. So to give some context, New Orleans for a period of time was the fastest growing population of coronavirus patients in the nation. Um, we were right on target behind New York and New Jersey. And um, it was scary because we are not New York and New Jersey in terms of federal dollars, our local economy, our state economy, our local economy are not exactly... Um, shored up, we're from a poor state. So having the resources to be able to care for those individuals with the level of care that was required was really concerning. So thankfully our governor and um, the New Orleans mayor were really proactive in saying, we're gonna, we're gonna dive in, we're gonna challenge our community. I think the other benefit is New Orleans used to a disaster. As sad as that is to say, you name it, we've experienced it from Katrina to an oil spill to the changing wetlands to the financial downturn of 08. We got a lot of practice in being nimble and adapting. Um, so it was scary for sure. The scariest part is that one, New Orleans, the city itself that we live in and the people we care for was the epicenter of this virus spread and contagion for vulnerable populations was running rampant. And we were really scared for the people we serve and what this means for them and their families. Secondly, New Orleans economy is built on the foundation of tourism and hospitality. Cafe Reconciles, you know, we are a workforce organization. The, our primary industry that we place young people in has always been hospitality. What is this going to mean to the folks that we've placed in hospitality? What is going to happen? So the long and short of it is that over the last two months, our entire operating style had to change literally overnight. In a week, we had over 90 alumni come to us saying, I need help. We opened up. We shut our doors. The mayor shut the mayor and the governor both shut operations of restaurants on March 16th. So on May 17th, literally overnight, we had to pivot to a remote case management system for program delivery and try to figure out what that meant for operations. Our program team is, I can't even put into words how amazing these people are. 
They are frontline essential service workers who aren't at a hospital, who aren't walking in and out of a clinic every day, but they sit on a phone, they sit on a laptop, they text 24-7 for the last two plus months, making sure really scared, vulnerable young people know they have a safe space and know that they have someone to walk this walk with them. And that's a huge emotional burden for them. But they feel like this is their calling and this is where we can make our community safer and stronger. The way we did that is we opened up a hotline. We also did direct outreach. We actually closed the cafe on what was supposed to be the second day of our second cohort of the year. So these poor young people never even made it into the building. Um, And so the way our work is really focused has been anchored in five areas. Our program staff do... um, calls, texts, and individual, want, if, if there isn't a digital divide, they're using digital technology. Otherwise, it's more cell phone based. And we focused on um, helping apply for unemployment, helping apply for SNAP benefits, helping apply for Medicaid benefits, um, focusing on mental health, getting um, young people connected to counseling units. So that's either a check-in with our mental health manager or more long-term counseling with counselors at two different partner agencies. And then the fifth is sort of like miscellaneous, basic but essential needs. We've had young people experience domestic violence, issues with diapers and formula, um, issues with like family dynamics. So it's sort of the miscellaneous bucket is literally miscellaneous, but they run the gamut of all basic needs. Um, to give you an idea of what that means, we have served in the past two months, just over 200 alumni in about, with about, we measure um, case management units or touches, right? As an individual session. In the last two months, they've done into four years worth of work. What we normally deliver in four years worth of work, they've done in two months. And we normally see 200 alumni over a year. So what that tells us is our alumni are in crisis. The um, type of need that they come to us with and the level of um, worry and capacity to navigate those needs is far more complex and complicated, requiring more sessions to get them from a place of crisis or a place of concern to a place of stability and safety. So it'll take more sessions to help them. Caitlin, we just have a few more minutes left, but very quickly, tell us what you would like from listeners as far as support and what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with Cafe Reconcile if they want to make a donation. So, you know, the best thing to do is we've been really strong at communicating what's been going on with our young people. What does case management in the time of a pandemic look like? Um, What does helping someone navigate this process experience and how do you help them figure out getting back employed in a new normal? And you can learn all that and follow us through signing up for our e-newsletter or following us on social media at Cafe Reconcile is our handle. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. 
Um, and then we also have, like I said, our e-newsletters. That gives folks a way to just hear our story, meet some of our interns. And if you're able to support our mission, everything that you contribute is going back to helping that service continue. Those remote case management sessions, we're doing client assistance grants, we're feeding our alumni once a week. So when you make a donation, your donation is going directly to the alumni you'll meet in those stories to ensure that they keep getting those services. The other way you can support us is by helping us with our earned revenue. So our catering operations have been really creative. They've been subcontracted to help with our second harvest Feeding America initiative. They're also helping with One World Central Kitchen. So they're busy every day. And that's allowed our cafe team to get back to work doing takeout, just like you were talking about earlier, Larry. So if you live in New Orleans, we're on, we have a web platform. You can get us through Uber, you name it, we're accessible. Um, you can also call your order in at 504-568-1157. For the time being, we're just going to stick with takeout. We don't think we're going to open up just yet. We want to make sure our, our number one concern is that our young people, our staff, um, we are safe and protected. And frankly, we serve, we're a predominantly black organization. This pandemic has impacted them more than many. And our responsibility is to care for them and uh, make sure that our reconciled community is safe. So we're going to hold off on opening for the time being and takeout is the best way to feed our community, um, but also keep everybody safe and at home. Well, that's excellent. And I just want to make um, a final statement, and that is, as cities, states begin to reopen, and as you said earlier, New Orleans is a hospitality uh, city, it's a hospitality destination, you've got to reach out to places like Cafe Reconcile. I'll be the first one to admit that Father Harry Salad, is that what it's called? Yeah, Father, yeah, Father Harry Salad. Fantastic. The sweet potato <laughs> crumble, fantastic. You've got to take advantage of what your city offers, but most importantly, take advantage of what Cafe Reconcile offers. They're a great organization, doing great work. Caitlin, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We look forward to seeing you again. And of course, when I get back to New Orleans, you're going to know. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you all. Well, that was Caitlin Scanlon of Cafe Reconcile in New Orleans. And again, I want to make a, a comment that anybody that ever goes to New Orleans, this is a fantastic place to go visit, get some food, order lunch. It's fantastic. But, you know, Caitlin made some very interesting comments when it comes to fundraising. And the fact that right now with the pandemic, fundraising is challenging. But just like everything else as relates to this pandemic, Things have changed, and what I mean by that is even your donations are treated differently now. For Caitlin and Cafe Reconcile, the best thing that we can do is get online, make a cash contribution, get it right into their system immediately. Now, the beauty of what has changed with the COVID-19 pandemic is that the tax treatment for 2020 on your charitable donations is treated as a 100% adjusted gross income on your taxes. Now, why is this important? It's very important because prior to this, you could only receive a 60% adjusted gross um, tax deduction if you gave directly to a charity. 
Same thing if you contributed to your account with the Legacy Charitable Fund. You would receive a 60% adjusted gross income. If you made a contribution to a foundation, for example, you would only receive a 30% adjusted gross income tax deduction. So there are very specific tax rules and regulations when it comes to charitable donations. The best thing that's happened with COVID-19 is that these contributions are now 100% tax-free if you make a cash contribution directly to the charity of your choice. I would encourage you to do that with your favorite charity, but if you've got it in your heart to support Cafe Reconcile, it's a great organization doing great work, and Caitlin will make sure that that money gets used effectively. And for those of you who are working in nonprofits right now and looking into fundraising for 2020, it's going to be a tough year. Um, some of you may see a struggle and some of you may not, but this is information about this adjusted gross income for this tax break that you need to get out to your donors. So as you get ready to send out your newsletters um, and your communication that you're open for business and how your business is doing, be sure that you make them aware of this information because it's things that they may not know. Well, that's it for this podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening. If you have any questions about what you heard, please feel free to reach out to the Legacy Travel Fund. We'll be able to assist you with all of your questions. Please feel free to give us a call, email, whatever's best for you. But for now, let's go out and do something good today.